What's up, everybody? It's Pastor James. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. Today we are starting chapter 5, and this short chapter will have no trouble finishing today as Paul begins to address some of the sins that are taking place beyond division and spiritual immaturity. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and we'll talk a little bit. It says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the Spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus." Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you already are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so chapter 5 finally opens up the can of worms of the worldly sins that have entered into the church of Corinth. But the truth is, is that the worldly sins are still very connected to the spiritual immaturity among the people um, in Corinth. And it really, it's connected to all people. I mean, if, if we're struggling in sin, chances are we're, we're spiritually immature, especially if we're living in sin. And this is something the Corinthian church is struggling with. They have people living in sin. Now, spiritually immature people struggle and live in sin, and, and mature followers of Christ they may have their moments of weakness. You know, they might fall into temptation. They might not always do the right thing every single time. But they should not be living in sin. They should not be giving in to the desires of the world or the desires of their own flesh on a daily, habitual basis. So, what happens when people who claim to be believers and indulge in their sexual sins usually they get caught up in these sins much worse than even the people of the world. And it's quite sad at how many Christians, uh, even pastors, you know, people who claim to be leaders in the church get swept away by their desires and their sins take over their entire lives. And the sins that are happening inside of the church, especially in Corinth that we're reading about today, Paul says that even the pagans wouldn't do this. And if the pagans wouldn't do it, that's pretty bad. Um, so the sin addressed in chapter five is sexual immorality, and the Greek term for this is pornea, which is a broad term for all types of sexual activity outside of marriage. And yes, despite what a lot of people are claiming today, due to the political um, push for the acceptance of homosexuality and transgender and all that stuff, pornea includes homosexuality, it includes um, cross-dressing, transgender, it basically includes all kinds of immorality and impurities. Now, pornea is one of the most common terms that we find in the New Testament, but it wasn't because the church 
was anti-sex or it was just, uh, you know, trying to fight against uh, sexual freedom or anything like that. But it was because the Greek culture was saturated with all sorts of sexual immoralities. From Rome uh, all the way through uh, Corinth to all these other places that Paul's going to be writing these letters, sexual immorality is very prevalent, it was widely accepted, and it was part of their common everyday life. But even the people in Corinth, the normal pagan people, would not be doing what this man inside the church is doing. And so Paul addresses this man that is having an ongoing relationship with his father's wife. And you have to notice that it's ongoing. He is living in this sin. It's part of his life. It's habitual sin. And this should be a huge concern for anyone who's claiming to be a follower of Christ. Now, scholars assume this woman isn't even a Christian since she isn't mentioned at all. And the other man is the one that's caught, the son is the one that's called out for the sin. And so you have to consider how Paul talks about even the pagans are not going to do this. And so just for example, I thought this was interesting. There was a writer in Rome by the name of Cicero, and he wrote and insisted that this type of incest was unheard of and considered a great crime. And so even if, if a Roman citizen and writer named Cicero was willing to acknowledge how much of a crime this was, this is a pretty big deal. And this just wasn't something that was common even among the sexual immoral culture. Uh, and, and what's bad is, is that the Christians were the ones who were okay with it. They were allowing it to happen. Now, all of them wasn't participating in it, but they were allowing it to happen, which is just as bad. So verse 2 circles back around to uh, the spiritual pride that we've been talking about for the past four chapters. And uh, they're just so proud of themselves. You know, they think very highly of themselves. They have everything they need. They're wealthy, blah, blah, blah. And Paul tells them that they should be mourning rather than prideful because they've allowed this man to stay inside the church when they should have cast him out. Now, some scholars say that the scripture points uh, to the Corinthians being proud of accepting the man and the sin because it showed them to be loving and open-minded. And we're going to read some verses later on in the chapter that will really kind of point to that. But it, you know, it's also fair to say that they were just puffed up in pride in general. I mean, this was just a prideful people. They thought everything they did was great. Um, basically, they could pass gas and it smelled like roses to them. These people thought that everything they did was amazing. And um, what's bad is, is when you look at it, um, this mindset sounds very familiar with our culture today in America. <clears throat> um the people who are doing the most immoral things are the ones who are being lifted up on the pedestal and uh, promoted and adorned and uh, really just, uh, they're just celebrated as heroes. And so I told you guys several weeks ago when we first started this book that um, this book of 1 Corinthians would probably resonate with the American church as much if not more than any other book in the Bible because... So much of what this church was going through is what we're going through right now, especially in our culture. So it's probably more relevant today than even what it was in the past 
200-something uh, years of our nation's existence. So Paul is very quick to say that even though he is not there, that he has already passed judgment on this man, and he challenges the church uh, to call a meeting and to pass judgment on him and to cast this man out. And he even tells them that not only will Paul be with him in spirit, but the power of Jesus would be with him, the Holy Spirit, that is, would also be with him, and give them the power to do what needs to be done. Now, this needs to happen, and this is very important for all Christians to understand this. So if you're listening to this today and you're not a Christian, you're not going to understand this. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, um, you still may find this hard to understand. But this needs to happen. And this man being cast out needs to happen not only for the church's sake, but it needs to happen for the man's sake. And so Paul talks about handing him over to Satan which sounds terrible, like, oh, what kind of Christian would hand another person over to Satan? That just sounds evil. But when people are given over to their sinful nature, to, to allow themselves to fully indulge in their sin and to feel the consequences of those sins, most of the time people will realize how bad those things are, how unbeneficial they are, and they will usually repent and return from those sins. And so, turning him over to Satan is an effort to purify this man and not give up on him. He needs to know that what he is doing is wrong. And he needs to be cast out so that he might repent from the sin and return back to the body of Christ, or the church that is. And Paul's ultimate hope in this. Now, now finish out the section. Paul's ultimate hope is that the man will be saved on Judgment Day and not be destroyed because of his sin. If the sin is allowed to continue, the man's soul will be destroyed when Jesus returns. But if he repents of this sin, the man can be restored and the man can be saved. And that is the ultimate goal. And so you might think that being accepting and loving of other people is the best thing to do. But if you really love someone you understand that their eternal life or their eternal destruction is more important than just them feeling good or feeling accepted right now in this moment. And it's not that we don't love people or that we want to give people to Satan, but sometimes we just need to know that there are things that are better for them to endure now than to endure eternal punishment later on. And this is what Paul is getting at. Paul then goes on in verse 6 to talk about how their boasting about this is terrible. So this is the verse I was talking about. It references how they're prideful. They're, they're happy. They're boasting about being accepting of this man and this sin. And the church had kind of bought into this immorality. And that's very scary. Um, but again, this is one of those things that we're really seeing a lot of today. A lot of churches, a lot of denominations are really buying into sexual immorality, all kinds of immorality, and being very accepting of all kinds of immorality. And um, we see this more and more every day in our culture. So one really interesting thing that I want to call your attention to is that Paul goes on to use the analogy of throwing out the old batch of dough that has yeast in it um, and starting with a new batch of dough. And sometimes you just need to start new. And, and Paul 
talks about how casting this man out will help the church to basically get rid of the sin, get rid of the yeast, and that's always an analogy. Uh, yeast is 99% of the times in Scripture used to compare sin um, entering in and spreading uh, with anything else. And so Paul's using this analogy, and he also references the analogy of the Passover lamb and the Passover feast and the bread made without yeast. Now, the reason why this is very interesting and it's alarming because the people who are in the church in First Corinth or in First Corinthians, the, the people of the church, there have to be Jewish people there. Um, a Gentile person would not necessarily get this reference of the Passover lamb and the Passover meal. This was very much a Jewish-specific reference that Jewish people would understand. And so there's a good chance that many of the people in the church in Corinth were Jewish. And Paul is referencing uh, Jewish stuff from the Old Testament that they would very much understand. Which makes it even worse because these people should know how sinful this is. Um, they should know better because they're children of Abraham and they know the law of Moses. They know in the book of Deuteronomy there are laws that specifically talk about how a son should not have sexual relations with his father's wife or wives. Um, this should be common knowledge for them. But it goes to show you how much these people had been affected by the culture surrounding them and this whole idea of being open-minded and uh, being accepting of other people. And so the term for being open-minded and accepting of today's time is woke. And so that's if you haven't heard that term, you need to get very familiar with the term woke. Because woke is going to be one of the greatest enemies of the American church. Now, I'm not talking about... Um, you know, supporting racism or anything like that. I'm just talking about this whole idea that if you oppose sexual immorality, if you oppose transgender, if you oppose any kind of sinfulness or something that the world is trying to promote, then basically you are not woke and you get canceled in your culture and people shame you and they ostracize you. But in reality, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be the ones... Um, not ostracizing people of the world, but ostracizing anyone who claims to be a believer in Christ who is living in sin habitually, and that's part of their life. And you might say, oh, that's terrible. Um, how are we supposed to pass judgment on people? How are we supposed to uh, cast people out of the church? Um, that just sounds terrible. Well, and, and you might say, well, we're not supposed to judge others, and that's a half-truth. Um, and Paul explains why he and the rest of the church in Corinth are perfectly capable of passing judgment um, in the last few verses of this chapter. Now, it's not going to be passing judgment on people in the world, but it's passing judgment on people inside the church, and we need to pay attention to this because this is very important in how we operate as believers in Christ and how we keep peace and unity inside the church. So let's read verses 9 through 13 together and we'll finish up the chapter today. Paul says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. 
But I wasn't talking about the believers who indulge, or I'm sorry, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. All right, so a few interesting things. Uh, Just a few verses, but some very interesting things from these verses. Verse 9 reveals to us that Paul had already written a letter to the church of Corinth. Now, I probably did not mention this in our uh, podcast, but we definitely talked about this in person in our Wednesday night group as we talked about this um, very early on as we were introducing the chapter. But we are missing the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And you see that in verse 9. He said, as I wrote to you before. So we know this is not his first letter. Now, we're also missing the third letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, which is really interesting um, because uh, if you read 1 Corinthians, it's actually the second letter to the Corinthians. And when you read 2 Corinthians, it's actually the fourth letter that was written to the Corinthians. So... Um, that's not super important. I just like to draw people's attention to little details like that um, just because I think they're very interesting. Don't let it bother you too much. Uh, you know, it's it's a little confusing, but it shouldn't have no impact whatsoever on the legitimacy of Paul's writings. <clears throat> you know, he was writing the same thing in this letter as he was in the first letter that he wrote them. You know, he's giving them advice. He's calling them to abstain from sin. And to be careful how they interact with people who are living in sin, especially those who claim to be believers. Now, Paul did tell them not to associate with sexually immoral people, um, but only those who claim to be Christians. So, if someone doesn't claim to be a Christian and they're living in sin... Basically, they're just a normal person. And so Paul is saying that you can associate with them. You should be trying to witness and minister to them. But anyone who claims to be a believer and who is living in sin should be someone that you avoid like the plague. You should have nothing to do with them. Don't associate with them. You don't want them to rub off on you. And you don't want anyone to think that you support them in what they do. You should remove them from your presence. And... People are evil by nature, and we have to understand that. And that's why Paul said, look, if you want to avoid sin altogether, you're going to have to leave this world. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to go to heaven in order to be removed completely from sin. So don't try to avoid people of the world. You avoid people who claim to be believers in Christ and who habitually live in sin. But Paul specifically says he is not the judge of outsiders, that God is their judge. But he is certainly responsible to judge those inside the church, and you as believers are certainly responsible to judge those who are inside the church and living in sin. 
Um, and notice it says living in sin. <clears throat> he didn't say struggling with sin. He didn't say someone who has fallen into a sin. Um, it's not something like, oh man, you know, this person messed up. No, this guy was living in sin. He was in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And the people affirmed it and knew of it and accepted it. And this was going on. They are practicing a lifestyle of sin. And those people, according to Paul, should be removed. And Paul references Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7, when he says, According to the word, these people should be removed from among you. The sin should be removed from among you. And you got to notice once again, that's an Old Testament reference. The only people who would have gotten that Old Testament reference from Deuteronomy 17, 7 would have been Jewish people. <clears throat> a Gentile person who had been saved for just a matter of two years would not have access to the Old Testament and would not have they would not have connected the dots. So we're dealing with a group of people who know or should know Old Testament scripture, but at the same time they're very spiritually immature. So this is another thing you need to be aware of. It is very possible to be very knowledgeable of Scripture, to be very knowledgeable of spiritual things, and yet still be very spiritually immature. And so, once again, you you see in this moment where Paul was talking about how, you know, Jesus came to deliver us from our sin. He's the Passover lamb. He's the sacrifice. He came so that the yeast could be removed from the dough. He came with the expectation that the yeast is supposed to be removed from the dough. Your bread is not supposed to have yeast in it. A.K.A. your life is not supposed to have sin in it. A.K.A. your church is not supposed to have sin in it. Now, we are people. We do make mistakes. We are going to struggle with sin. We are going to fall into sin at times. We are going to allow ourselves to be carried away at times. But it is not something that should be accepted. It is something that we correct one another. We rebuke one another. We lovingly accept and guide one another back to truth. But we never, ever, 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 ever accept a lifestyle of sin as normality. We do not accept a lifestyle of sin. We don't accept people who claim to be believers in Christ and habitually live in sin. That is wrong. It will destroy the person's soul for eternity, and it will destroy a church from the inside out in enough time. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul is trying to save this man by casting him out, handing him over to a sin in hopes that he will repent and return. And at the same time, he's trying to save the church in Corinth because he knows that the longer that sin is allowed to stay, the more like yeast in a batch of dough that it's going to spread to everyone else. And that can't happen. It's not supposed to happen because Jesus came in order for it not to happen. So, as we finish today, I just want to ask you, what does your life look like? Are you living in sin? If so, I want to challenge you to repent and confess your sins, not only to Jesus Christ. Confess them first to Jesus. Repent of your sins first to Jesus, but also find a brother or sister in Christ 
And if you're a man, find a brother in Christ. If you're a woman, find a sister in Christ. And confess your sins to them as well. You do this so that the person can help hold you accountable. If you conceal your sin, you may be able to hide it from other people, but it's still there and God knows that it's there. And if you habitually live in sin, Paul said, this man would be destroyed on the judgment day when Jesus returns. But if we repent of our sins, if we turn away from them, then God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we can find grace and forgiveness and come back to the body of Christ. So I ask you today, what does your life look like? Do you have sin in it? If so, repent. Find a fellow believer. Confess your sins to them. Allow them to help hold you accountable and to pray for you and encourage you because we need that. We need that so much in our lives. That's why the church is so important. And that's why it's important for the church to maintain its integrity and not allow sin to come into it because it needs to be pure and holy and available to help encourage other people to come out of sin. And if the church as a body is living in sin, it can't encourage an individual to come out of sin. But if the church is without sin and it's pure and holy, then it can encourage the individuals to come out of its sin to be pure and holy with it. All right? Let me pray with you before we go today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity and this time we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Jesus, we pray that you would speak into our lives and that you would change us, heal us, make us whole. Jesus, help us to abstain from sin. Help us to turn away from sin. Lord, help us to repent and help us to give our lives completely and wholly to you. Lord, help our church. Help Graham Chapel, help any other church, any people who are listening to this today, if, if they're a part of a church, help their church to be pure and holy so that they can encourage others to come out of their sin and to be pure and holy with them. Lord, we love you today. Help us serve you in all we do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. If you can't catch us in person this weekend on campus, we are on Facebook, YouTube, or we will always have the podcast. We love you, praying for you. Hope you have a great week.